Well, fine. I mentioned this early, earlier. Uh, earlier, it's like two weeks or even more since we recorded. But but we finally, uh, night before last, or I don't know, sometime this week, we installed, so to speak, the internet mattresses we got for for my our kids. So, you know, as 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 uh, efficient, uh, fiscal fiscally efficient parents, we of course. Just went with the default total like shitty mattresses that came with our kids' bed frames, and and they're they're oh, not yeah. very good. So we finally uh, upgraded to to the uh, to the Casper mattresses. So we've got like a twin mattress for our daughter. She has a quote unquote big girl bed now, uh, which we, <laughs> I tried to get her to sleep in last night, and I had to like basically go to go to bed with her because I she wasn't into it. She actually had me drag in my son Cormac's old mattress to the, onto the floor to sleep on that instead of her big mattress. But uh, then, kind of throughout the night, she decided that she was ready to sleep on the big mattress, so she crawled up and slept on that. Now, my son has a uh, is is a double an up from a twin. Mattress sizes are just kind of inscrutable, but uh, so that that's a that's a they're both good mattresses. But that one's big enough that it, you can feel the adultness of it, and and it is like <laughs> now I did not hear the patented Merlin man old man making a sound when we unraveled it, but I I shit you not when we. When we were opening it up, my wife Kim said, "That can't be a mattress in there. That's impossible." She was very excited <laughs> about. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty much just like every podcast you've heard for the past two years, uh, and and I even I even used the uh, the Roderick on the line discount code to get fifty dollars off the order. It was very exciting. Way to go! Yeah, way to go! Yeah, and uh, now, now of course, not- like this is what this is like a Casper mattress, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, exactly, so. both of them, and then we also got a box spring. They also sell box springs. That was exciting. Wait, wait, those those can't be like rolled up, can they? <laughs> no, no. This is another another thing. So that ships to you, and it's basically like a very long uh, box. And what you have to do, it's kind of like uh, IKEA magic. You, there's like these pin systems that you you get the four sides and you put pins in to to hold them together, and then they have a rolled up bunch of slats. Slats is always a funny word. A rolled up bunch of slats in in like a carpet, basically uh, that that you you unroll for your your box spring. They don't call it a box spring; they call it a foundation. So there you <laughs> All go. All right, yeah. So that William Gibson, be proud. That, so, that, so Coach A, yeah. are, do we do we have a Casper code that people can use? We do not have a Casper code, but this is a very <laughs> artful, uh, pertinent segue into an ad that we have. An ad that people are actually paying us money for. It's amazing. So first of all, uh, th- thanks to Clive over at Casper for reaching out at this. But so uh, I think I will forget when this was. I think when I was on vacation or something. But the the, the so far I'm doing a good job with with the ad. But uh, essentially, you can imagine being an internet mattress company. Casper has a website, and Clive was telling me they're hiring a bunch of senior SREs, site reliability engineers. Now, if you go look at the actual job listing that they have, you can see they've got all sorts of benefits, like you can nap at work, which sounds good. That might be Ooh. good if you get woken up at night and you need to use your pager. Now, I'm sure once you're, you know, if you've read the Google SRE book, you're going to do a really good job being a programmer, sysadmin. You're going to automate so much stuff that you actually can sleep during the day because just like it's going to be humming, everything's going to be fine. But anyhow, uh, I, I don't know off the top of my head how many they're hiring, but they have a, a, a good job ad there. And uh, we'll put a link to it in the show. Or you can just go to casper.com slash jobs. And if you uh, prefer email, 
you can email it to jobs at casper.com. Now, I went to go look up, uh, you know, in Glassdoor, what kind of place Casper is to work at. I, I, I assume Glassdoor is legit. People reference that. And they have 4.6 out of 5 stars. So it seems like it'd be a, a pretty pretty nifty place to go work. And, you know, if they've got those mattresses lying around. I bet they have, like, little tiny ones that you can put your action figures on. That that, that would be fun, too. Uh, 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 Office singles, yeah, and I'll have to uh, I'll have to take a picture of the documentation they sent with the the twin mattress. I don't think the double mattress had this, but I had Kim, my wife, look at this, and I'm pretty sure there's a handwritten thank you note in it, which is kind of astounding. And also the documentation they have for how to put it together, it's this big poster that folds out. And if they put that much care into the documentation, it must be like the rest of the, the IT over there must run really well because that documentation is top notch. <laughs> it's, it's like you, you, can I, t- you can tell when you pay attention to something and actually like hire real people to like work on it, you get good results. It's, uh, hmm. it's, it's a really good poster to look over. So anyways, just to wrap that up, if you go to casper.com slash jobs or you email jobs at casper.com, you'll see the senior SRE jobs there. And, you know, it's what you would expect a Google SRE to do if, if you read through it. And uh, it should be, should be a fun job to have there. And, of course, it would be helpful if you mentioned that you heard it here on Software Defined Talk. Then, uh, then maybe with our buddy Clive, we could even get like a nice testimonial and, uh, you know, we could, we could find, we could help other people out, uh, find jobs. And if you missed all that, we'll, uh, we'll mention it at the end and put it in the show notes as well. I've been on vacation for two weeks, which means the show doesn't mm. happen. Now, someone, someone was talking, <laughs> Brandon, you know, someone was talking with you about like Zencaster or something. Did you evaluate the Zencaster setup? I did uh, get an account. They gave me like the free premium for two weeks. It looks good. I don't. I did not. I thought. You know. I was like, well, maybe Matt Ray and I will record one since we don't have the proper setup. But then um, I went on vacation instead of that. So my. So I can only thing I can confirm is like, yeah, if you record a podcast of one person talking for like three minutes, it totally works, which is completely not what you want. And oh. I think it does a lot more than that. So uh, it looks cool though. I liked uh, some of our. Listeners, fellow listeners, uh, fellow, I shouldn't say our listeners, but fellow podcasters gave us uh, the recommendation in the software defined talk Slack channel. So it was yes. actually now, quite good. Now, this, um, this brings up several items, and we'll get back to the, 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 a meta meta item because podcast talk is always a meta item, but a meta meta item. I did set up uh, a Slack channel for software defined talk. A, f- a few early super fans came in, and I have to confess, a core problem is because. Uh, I, 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 you know, this would be a fascinating product management conversation to have with the Slack people. But basically, it's invite only. So you got to use all these scripts to like make it so you can automatically get invited. And, you know, I tried to go install it on Heroku. And because it was not something I can do in PowerPoint, I failed at it. So if someone knows how to set up like the auto invite thing for a Slack channel, that would be handy. But in the meantime, if you want to get invited to the Software Defined Talk Slack channel, you can like DM or at me or something in Twitter, or, uh, you know, you can email me at sdt at cote.wtf if you're really excited to use email. So, yeah, the, the, it is, it does bring up a great question though. Mm-hmm. If Slack's worth $9 billion as reported, like you think like, Hey guys, how about just like request access, right? Like just, just a quick, you know, that doesn't seem like a tough feature. Uh, and it's only been, uh, implemented like a thousand different ways from what I can tell on the internet. Right. And I've seen, uh, virtually, what is a bunch of like tumblers and various different uh, solutions to it. Uh, so I think in uh, one was like a GitHub thing. You make a request in GitHub. So 
Uh, yeah, I think there's quite a bit. It's like quite a bit of demand at this point. To, to your point about product management, I think like just Google Slack, you know, um, I guess Slack request, and I think you'll get a thousand different ways. It seems like good evidence the users would benefit from such a feature. But I mean, it's not there because you know we we so so Chef has a couple of community Slacks and they've got like thousands of people in them. I hate to think that somebody has signed off on all those individually. Oh no, there, there's like some sort of scripts or something that automated. Uh, like I've I when I joined the uh, the Cloud Foundry Slack thing, like you go through that, and you know I don't know. It's I'm I'm sure I'm sure if I hadn't stopped programming in 2006, like I tell this to a lot of people, I stopped programming in 2006, which means I don't understand how virtualization and Git work in the programming world. Like that, that was like right before that, and now like the entirety of programming is based on that. Like I had an inkling of JavaScript. Remember we did all those experiments with like holding a socket open and putting real time stuff in JavaScript. But, oh, like, good times. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything about mobile development. I mean, I'm I'm just like totally. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm I'm like one of those. Uh, I've been listening to uh, the uh, to the what is it? The Promise and the Glory by Manchester, the history of the United States from like 1910 to 1970. It just wrapped yeah. up the World War II part. You know, it's like those Japanese soldiers lost in caves. That's what I am. I'm st- I'm still telling people why subversion is a good idea. All right. Well, well but it's been funnier. Even what's great, I just want to for the Slack product management. It's like, yeah, like if your customers are, um, you know, people that work at Chef that like live to automate everything they've ever done in their entire life, probably don't have to worry about it. They don't need that feature. For everybody well, else, <laughs> it would be yeah. a huge benefit. So maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Amazon can buy them and, and take that uh, strategy burden off of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey guys, go write this. Pizza yeah. pizza, get to work. That, pizza, that, pizza, six-page memo, get it done. That, that, would, that would be crazy if Amazon bought them, right? Like, I, does, Amazon doesn't have, like, a uh, like an online office thing, right? Like, you know, Google Docs or Office 365, uh, or do they? They do. Um, I, what they have, does, I know they have, like, hosted... Yeah, they have, they, like they, they have like virtual desktops over the internet. Yeah. I, I use those when they first came out, and and like all VDI stuff, some reason for some reason, I had been put in a time machine and transported, if that's the right vernacular for time travel, sent and sent back in time when virtual desktops were very slow. I understand virtual desktops are super fast nowadays, uh, but the one that I was using was very slow, where you had the uh, you had the big blocks. Of, of un unrefreshed content, but it was kind of nice because I was on a Mac and I was that was uh, I was missing the extensive tool suite and functionality in the Windows version of Excel, so I tried to run a Windows version of Excel. But uh, does that work? Uh, if I hadn't been sent back in time and it was operating at a normal speed, <laughs> no, because like I I actually have a need for Word twenty sixteen on Windows, Ooh. not Mac. Yeah. 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 And and I I I, I bought <laughs> I bought Word 2016 so I could use uh, some feature and it wasn't in the Mac version and the you know sorry Microsoft your documentation is terrible mm. um, and yeah I need to get just Word 2016 for I don't know a day or two and then I'll be done with it and so I need like VDI or you know Word by the hour or something like that. Yeah. You know who's really good at that? I think, well, I think Office 365 maybe, but not for the case you're talking about. But uh, no. I, I had to use Illustrator 
to do something just once. And you can get like a month subscription. It's hella expensive. But if you expense it, why do you care? I mean, it's like $30, yeah. right? But you can just get like Ooh. an Illustrator subscription for a month and then cancel it, which this is a lot better than having to dial up uh, over your, your Robotron. What would your US Robotics thing and download some, uh, some ANSI art? Uh, copy. Yep, get some ATDT going. Yeah, yeah. Piracy, huh? <laughs> Jokes. Well, speaking of that, well, also while I was gone, I was. Uh, it, it, this was the most exciting non-vacation thing that happened on my couple of week vacation. Is is Amazon? Uh, they're they're going to acquire Whole Foods now. I think I think I read somewhere that it's. Uh, what, what do you got there? Expected to close in the second half of this year. Which, which I think, uh, well, we're almost done through the six month. That basically means any time now, but uh, probably December thirty first at eleven fifty nine p.m. I guess. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, there's probably no regulatory thing. Like, would someone freak out about that? I guess the government still has to like approve things or something. But like, not this government. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, <zing. laughs> but that um, that's some pretty yeah, bonkers I mean, stuff. It's crazy. Yeah, if. Uh... If you haven't read um, the uh, Stratechery write-up and the the Exponent podcast of that, like they go into some crazy depth on that. Um, and and on the uh, the Exponent podcast, he said that is his most popular article ever. Really? Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it's really good stuff. Explains you know that uh, uh, well you know while, while Whole Foods was playing checkers. Um, you know, Amazon's playing chess or whatever. Um, so, you know, grocery is, is a stepping stone to many a thing for for uh, for Amazon. So I think, you know, because that is like the definitive read, I think, on the, the strategy side. So I think for, you know, the our world, I was I was thinking a lot about like, what does the, it mean for AWS? And I one of the concepts that Stratechery really breaks out is kind of this notion of first and best customer. You know, Amazon has been so, so successful at least in that article, he puts forth the idea that they've, you know, really always had the first and best customer. So AWS was an outgrowth of running the world's largest e-commerce site, right? And that that being an example. And you know, the next thing that's predicted is that they'll do the same thing for, um, you know, potentially replacing like FedEx and UPS, right? Because they have all this logistics stuff um, that they've been doing. And and so the point he makes in there was they didn't have, they weren't like a natural first and best customer for, um, you know, groceries, especially like, you know, things that, um, like fruits and vegetables, right? They can go bad, perishables, I guess. And that's why Amazon Fresh had sort of, you know, not really gone anywhere. So I thought the notion of them acquiring Whole Foods to almost become that, right? Like, what does it take to run Whole Foods, get that right, and then eventually right sort of world domination and i think i go back to like something we talked about on this on this show i think a few years ago right was like remember aws bought that or uh, did that deal with the cia right from a private data center i assume that's still going on and i i just wonder you know like you know people think of amazon and you know for a long time it was like we're just going to be an online company right and they're just going to take over e-commerce um, but and but now that we've seen them open a physical retail store, now they bought the Whole Foods. I think you know for our world, the world that we talk a lot about is this public-private hybrid cloud world, right? And I think, you know, is the CIA their first and best customer on the private data center? And then at some point, do they buy or do they, as we've talked about before, do they decide to like get into the private data center world because they feel like that's the just a world of set of customers they have to get to? Um, so like them buying a whole foods, I think maybe is a parallel to like something like that we could see in the future. So Brandon, here's, here's, here's what I've been waiting to ask you. 
and and not like for two weeks or anything, but you know, I, I was thinking this as, as I was as I was going over the notes is like one of the things you very commonly like to do in a situation like this is go over who the uh, who the losers are, like what and and not only who the losers are, but like what does it mean for uh, the future of the area? So, you know, coming off the tails of your uh, your industry leading expertise as a grocery store analyst, right? Uh, like who who do you think who do you think loses out on this? Like and and to to add to that question because you know I, I can't just ask a question. Like uh, of course for those who don't know, whenever you, well this is not always the case, but if you're tr- doing a good M and A deal, you always have you know at least two to five other people you might be considering, and so you know uh, it's always easy to uh, retro synergize that like this one that we ended up buying fits perfectly with us, but it does make you wonder like if, if they would have even considered other grocery stores or like is Whole Foods the only thing that, that would have been purchased? Yeah, well, I think clearly the you know Whole Foods being under attack from an activist investor, right, and having that brand at a de- you know what I think most people would say was a depressed value. Whole Foods, so like really made them, I think, like the logical choice, right? Like a, a couple things, like we always talk about it. Like there, a lot was written about the brilliance of Amazon, but some of these things have nothing to do with Amazon, right? Like, a, you know, an activist investor, like you know, sort of like what asset sort of looks undervalued. So all those things, I think, happen, and then I think Amazon has a smart group of people, right? Just looking at M and A all the time. So clearly, you know, I think it is a win for. You know, Whole Foods is a company, right? I think they sort of probably found a good exit in a difficult situation. And then, as the financial press and all the stock market shows, like anybody who's a grocery store, you know, they have to take huge pause, right? Kroger and um, you know Safeway brands, and you know, um, you know, here in Texas, of course, like everyone loves HEB. So, I mean, I think if you're running one of those, you have to be worried. Probably the biggest, you know, company that. I think worries the most would be the Walmart, right? Because, I mean, it, that seems to be the clash that's really going to go on, right? Is that can Amazon ultimately displace Walmart as the you know number one retailer in the world? Both When I say that, I mean both, you know, online and physical mm-hmm. stores. So I think that's the one who's probably most worried. And I think these smaller grocery chains are, are going to be collateral damage. I think the, you know, with the opportunities, I think, you know, I think it's a good, it's a smart move by Amazon. I don't have any, if I'm like looking at it like everybody else, I think it's a good deal. But I will say like most of the press I think has gotten carried away with, you know, like just like they can do anything at this point. And it's, you know, it's like, it's going to be great. Right. And I think anyone that's been through an acquisition and acquisitions that are much smaller than this, just know how difficult they are. Right. Like most of the times it doesn't work. So we shouldn't just, assume because Amazon's really great that they're going to like integrate this perfectly and it's going to work out well. Like I, like I said, and I, I'm bullish on it. And I think it's a good idea, but like there is another case of like, this doesn't go well. The cultures clash. Like I'm mean, whole foods just happens to be headquartered in the, our hometown or Mount Ray's, you know, remote hometown. Right. And so we know it has a specific culture, you know, it's not going to be, maybe that doesn't work out well. Like maybe it doesn't take, right. There is that other scenario. So I think, that's one thing I think people are overestimating. Mm. And then two, you know, I don't know, like, you know, I was kind of joking. I, I think I put on um, Facebook in this case, like, you know, like in Texas, right. HEB and this, this area, people love HEB. Like there's like a, I think there's like a disproportionate amount of love for this grocery store. I personally never go to the grocery store, but I know my <laughs> wife who does most of the shopping and a lot of people like when they pick their house, they, they're worried about like how far they are from the HEB. So 
you know, that's the other question is just, you know, you know, it makes sense that, yeah, like, absolutely. It seems like most of this stuff will move to online. But, like, I tell you, like, there's still a lot of people that love to go to the grocery store. Like, my wife does it all the time. Mm-hmm. So I don't – you know what I mean? So, like, I don't know how quickly this is going to transfer transfer over. And then you kind of have the question of integrating the acquisition. So I think those people, you know, come out on, on the maybe the bad side. I don't know. I, th- I kind of feel like the other guys – you know, the secondary guys that have to be kind of worried would be, you know, your Procter and Gamble and things like that. Like if, you know, they're already selling a lot of stuff through Amazon, but the other talk is like Amazon's just going to continue to offer their own brand of everything, whether it's like, you know, diapers or, um, and so that's got to worry you too, right? It's like, if they're trying to do everything, you know, then (laughs) what, what do you do? And as we've seen, like, if we, if you're worried about, or you're thinking about what they want to do, go read the everything store. Right. Cause they just kind of show how Amazon eats up things over and over again. Um, but I think, you know, so maybe the question is like, is there any winner other than Amazon? I mean, I don't know if there's any immediate winner, maybe just boutique grocery stores, right. That are really niche, right. Those ones probably got a little bit stronger just because, if all the other grocers go out of business, there's always going to be a place for at least a couple. <laughs> but that's you know that's a real stretch to say like there's another winner here besides Amazon. Well, you know, there's so many topics in there, and I've started this new habit when I record podcasts is I write this little thing called a queue of things I want to remember to talk about. So we'll see if if I can remember to unpack all these. I'll try to go in reverse order. Is that uh, is that last in last out Lilo snitch or something? Anyways, <laughs> there you go. Uh, now that's first in, first out, and last in Lilo. Bi- there you go. Bifo. There. Just please send me a lot of links explaining Q theory and CS. I have a philosophy degree <laughs> with an English minor, so I, I don't understand. I don't. I don't know how. Yeah, that we're works. gonna have a special episode of of Cote learning queuing theory and get. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that, that'd be great. I'd appreciate that. Get my longer. <laughs> so so uh, you know you know I I think I think so as far as winners I mean this sounds a little like glowy or whatever but like. You know, I I think maybe like us us common folk would actually be the winners. It's a little weird, but like I love going to Whole Foods, right? I love it, uh, and it's yeah. just like this fun experience. I mean, especially, we might be a little spoiled because we're in Austin, right? But I went to a Whole Foods in uh, Atlanta a little while ago. It was the same more or less thing, and uh, you know, due to a comparable, you go to Trader Joe's, and Trader Joe's is fun, but not like Whole Foods, right? Trader Joe's is sort of like. I once got an Uber in a uh, like a, a a tricked out Ford Focus, and I learned that it was basically like a forty thousand dollar car, and that's kind of like Trader Joe's. You're like, this is a nice car, but it's still a Ford Focus, which, by the way, is a car I drive because it makes sense as a secondary car. So Trader Joe's is fun, and speak a private label. They apparently do a ton of stuff. See, that would be another one. I bet Trader Joe's was like on on the comps. I mean, if you had a responsible M and A person. You would definitely yeah. put Trader Joe's on there. You might do that that thing. What, what you might you'd have to tell me the thinking fast, thinking slow trick of this. But there's you know you put the bad choice on there so that it can be canceled intentionally, knowing it's going to be canceled. Some sort of negative anchoring. But you know you would put that one as a comparable on there. Anyhow, but I think the, but on that one though, like as my experience with Trader Joe's is, I don't have as much fresh produce. Like yeah, that's more totally. limited there. That, yeah. That seems like the way the reason you're nixing that one and, right away. And like, now well, that might that might, al- do produce. That might also that be that might also the Amazon strategy well. Yeah, that might right? also be again because we're in Austin and like you know with H E B and Whole Foods, you would think Trader Joe's like as, as my wife Kim says every time we go there. Why are they here? So <laughs> anyhow, uh, so but, so but, I, but, I don't know. You know like, we, like, 
like like in theory, all of us people who pay for Amazon Prime will get some sort of benefit for it, right? And like so while I enjoy going to Whole Foods, I also know its other moniker, which is Whole Paycheck. So I only go there as sort of like a luxury fun thing. Like I don't go there in the normal course of stuff. Now again, not to be all like a, you know, Central Texas exceptionalist, I don't know how you beat HEB. Like I'm pretty sure HEB is like probably controls most of the distribution of everything in this this part of, of Texas. Uh, yep. But still, maybe, I mean, if they can get prices down, because really, I don't know, let's be serious. Groceries are all about prices, right? Like to some extent, like there's a bit, bit of like uh, price, whatever you call it, intolerance. But like the reason I don't shop at Whole Foods is because I assume it will be more expensive. And, you know, like I have a running amount of how much an avocado costs, so I do keep track of these things. Maybe I inherited that from my Depression-era grandmother who always knew how much a gallon of milk cost. But, uh, you know, on the other hand, you know, th- and, th- and this gets to one of the other things. The first thing to, to do more FIFO or whatever, FIFO, FIFI, is that was one of the things I think is I, I'm not quite convinced about whatever Ben Thompson wrote. So maybe since you've actually listened to his – y'all have listened to his podcast. Like there is a question of – Clearly, there are barriers to entry to grocery stores figuring out online sales or not becoming Sears, right? Like there's something – there's some sort of barrier to entry, whether it's a problem they currently have on their own or there's actually a technological know-how thing. But on the face of it, like I still don't quite see – and this is an ongoing topic we have, but I don't quite see what the barrier to entry here is. Right. In the sense of you could just do this, <laughs> right? Like 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 you could yeah. just sell you could you could make an Instacart, right? Like you could buy Instacart, which, uh, you know, Walmart could go out and buy Instacart or they could go out and buy something. And and again, like I know it is the case that there is a mental barrier to entry that causes this problem, but I still don't know what it is. The fact that like Walmart doesn't already do this or maybe they will. And then the next two years, boom, they'll do it and it won't be a big deal. But it's it's interesting to figure out like why technologically doing whatever for whatever reason Amazon bought Whole Foods was like why that's such a barrier to entry that would cause. I mean, who knows what the fuck Wall Street investors think, but like that would cause the valuation of other grocery store, other grocery stores to drop so much, which would indicate to me that there is a wide opinion, at least to people who are invested in those companies, that there's a barrier to entry and Amazon will harm them somehow by doing this and they can't fight back for some reason. I, I think there's a couple parts to why it's hard for other people to do it. Um, the, the first is, you know, grocery stores and retail in general aren't exceptionally profitable where they can, you know, slap high salaries onto a bunch of, you know, whiz kid developers to knock out all this amazing stuff for them. Mm. You know, so first off, they already have a culture of frugalness. Um, secondly, they have a customer base that they are going to have a hard time convincing to switch over to, you know, this exciting new future of online groceries. And so they're excited to get, you know, percentages of them, you know, five, 10, 15%. You know, and, and it, as you see, all the grocery stores are going nuts over like, you know, grocery delivery and, you know, web van kind of stuff. And they're like, hey, you got to do this because they know how they know how sticky that is. Right. Once you start on that path, you're like, I'm never going back to that store. Um, and so what they but that what they all what they all realize, and I guess probably what Wall Street, Wall Street realizes is that Amazon knows that's the game. Like you start sticky 
and you just keep growing your pie. And so Amazon doesn't have to get, you know, 100% of home grocery delivery. Um, you know, they start with, hey, we've got, a, we've got this Whole Foods thing, and you can get, you know, some 15, 25% of your groceries start getting delivered online. That's not going to shrink. Nobody ever, I mean, I don't actually know anybody who stops using Prime, right? Unless they move to Australia. Um, <laughs> and so the amount you consume just keeps going up and up and up. And Amazon's really good at logistics and making that pipeline cheaper, better, stickier. And I think most people don't think that, you know, your uh, Kroger's and the like have that skill set. I mean, yeah. Amazon is a distribution company. All right. Yeah, no, so, so you raised some good points that help like flesh out this this unknown thing in my head. One of them, like in, in, in doing my uh, I wrote up a little notebook of all my uh, collected factoids about this today, uh, which we'll link to in the show notes. But. One of the things I came across said that, you know, average margins for grocery stores is like 1.7%, which if, if you know anything about the margins in the tech world, you're like, how does anyone survive on that, right? I mean, I guess you survive with volume and by having not big expenses. So, so there is, from the baseline, you've already got this problem of, as you say, being frugal, which affects your willingness to innovate. And then I guess I guess that gets dyed into your culture to some extent. And you probably end up I, I imagine groceries are a uh, human intensive thing. And looking at someone like Whole Foods mm -hmm. and probably H E B, like there was someone in an H E B buddy costume the other day. Like you probably decide to spend a lot of your money on, on people. Uh, <laughs> oh, your spare that money guy on top dollar. Yeah. I my son Cormac, he was more interested in looking at toys than H E B buddy, which which uh, we gotta work on that. But anyways. Uh so yeah, I guess you just have a culture of not investing. <laughs> which means when when someone comes around who does have a have a culture as Amazon does does of long term investing, then it's easy to get whomped by it. And then so this also raises another another question, uh, uh, you know, that that we kind of skipped over is like, well, what exactly is the this the the business or whatever? And it seems like you know it's easy to focus on like the online grocery business. And there's a bunch of in that notebook you can see there's I don't know. How it's like ten or twenty billion estimated market in online groceries, and but the overall grocery market is like six hundred billion a year in the U.S. So while it's small, and you know it's I don't know twenty percent growth rate or something like that, so it's fast growing. But then also there's um, on the other side uh, of, of the business, you know, you also have things like maybe maybe Amazon wants to have physical locations that they could do mm -hmm. non-grocery business in. So you got like over 460 physical locations they could sell things in. Like there's that weird little section that Whole Foods has with like the hemp shirts and the flowers. Maybe they could expand that out and put some batteries. Well, in they will or something. That, that, and, that's where the money is. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, and and then I guess there's also like like it's always easy to dismiss this in an acquisition. There's the actual grocery business itself. So maybe, maybe Amazon can get like 2% margins. <laughs> like th there's some consolidation of like firing all the HR people and like most of the uh, low level marketing people. And, and, and probably your, uh, your uh, supply chain argue, although maybe not like maybe you still want to get the supply chain arguers from uh, whole foods, your negotiators, but you, so you can strip out some back office costs for like some one or two time optimizations, but Maybe there's actually like some technology things. Like I remember being all excited uh, to read that Whole Foods was at an investor conference going over their uh, their uh, their cloud strategy. But then at least what I read, their cloud strategy was basically using SaaS software. So maybe maybe there's a bunch <laughs> of room for uh, technical optimization there. Well, that's why Salesforce. Right. Well, uh... but as I say, just borrowing from the Ben Thompson thing, I mean, I think his 
kind of central thesis is right. Amazon does really, really good with anything that has, you know, uh, high fixed goods, right? And then you're, re- I'm sorry, high fixed um, costs. costs. Yeah. And then you get, um, you get a return on that money at scale, right? So this seems to be the ongoing Amazon uh, strategy is like they are the ones willing to, uh, you know, build out, put, you know, if you will, incur those costs. And then, you know, their whole goal is to continue to grow, 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 right? And then the thought at some point, right, the scale is so big that, and they're so dominant that they can, you know, just continue to take a really low margin or they can up prices and start to make more money. And I think that's where he's kind of coming from around like, you know, AWS has high fixed costs that return at scale, right? I think the, the next one would be like logistics, like, you know, potentially going back to like replacing FedEx, right? Or something like, or UPS. And then the same thing with groceries. And I think, you know, the other argument Ben Thompson made that actually I thought this one I found specifically compelling was, you know, you're really got to be worried. And we should have talked about this in losers like Instacart, right? Like Instacart, you know, still relies on all these grocery stores, right? To like, you know, they basically have to like put some kind of fee on top of the grocery store, right, for the delivery to make money. And, you know, his, I think his whole point there is that Amazon wants to be vertically integrated. They want to own the whole thing so that they can, you know what I mean, they can essentially cut out all the, the people on the top, right, trying to take any type of of additional cost out of that. So that's got to be really concerning if you're Instacart, right? Because, like, yeah. well, you know, you have all these shoppers and grocery stores, and then you're adding another fee to it. So why suddenly wouldn't I just order from Amazon Prime if it's less? Because there's really no benefit, right? Then it, you just don't care. Uh, an avocado is an avocado when it gets home. There's no experience to it. Yeah, yeah, no, and yep. and, and yep. if I remember his right, that's one of the more uh, compelling things. Is the he doesn't describe it this way, but the captive customer or the the uh, the Stockholm syndrome customer, <laughs> which which is like they're not necessarily you're not necessarily captive to Amazon Prime. You just uh, you just have decided not to look elsewhere, and so so in that sense. Uh, to the price sensitivity of, of of grocery stuff, you might just figure like, ah, eh, it's the cheapest. And I don't know. I've seen that when we try to use Instacart. Is we have the uh, the first impression thing where where you're like three dollar avocado. What the fuck is that? Right? Like, and you're like, <laughs> they they must they must be charging me like too much money for everything. And you're like, I'm not going to use that service anymore. Right? Like, and so there, there's there's a certain amount of like. Uh, you don't have to have rational belief that you're get, getting the cheapest prices, but at some point in the past, you want to know that you got cheap prices and you assume they'll continue to be cheap. Yep. But, but I mean, that's, that's the ongoing MO with, with Amazon is I was talking uh, with someone last night at an AWS meetup. It's like, you know, people complain about vendor lock-in, but Amazon's never raised the prices on anything. They just go down and down and down. Yeah. You know? um, and I, and I think, you know, Coming back to that frugality, uh, I actually interviewed with Whole Foods about ten years ago, oh, yes. and um, you know I, I, I took the job with, with Zenos, but uh, they, you know, they they literally were like, "Well, we're we're retail, <laughs> we can't pay a lot, um, quality of life, benefits, that kind of stuff." And I was like, "Yeah, that doesn't send my kids to college." Uh, you know, and I, I think what's interesting though is now Amazon will probably bring some of that those wages up you know so as a technologist living in austin it's starting to look interesting again right mm, certainly. Um, but but then you know it also kind of relates back to uh what's kind of going on in the container space is you know you don't want to be competing with somebody who's not competing with the same thing you are so all these grocery stores you know they're competing over their one percent two percent and you know 
Meanwhile, Amazon shows up and they're like, you know what? We have this cloud business <laughs> that keeps our grocery afloat. Um, and, you know, over in and and container world, it's like, oh, we've got this, you know, search ad business that keeps Kubernetes afloat, you know, so much for your VC. Yeah, so right. I think there are a lot of... This, get, this gets to the heart of, like, the most powerful thing Amazon had, right? And, you know, it's been written a lot, but I saw, like, Matt, Aga- Matt Iglesias from uh, Vox did a little write-up on it. And, you know, he just kind of called out something we've talked about a lot. is like, you know, Amazon is not burdened with having to make money, right? They have yeah. special permission from the stock market to, you know, for the foreseeable future, never turn a profit. Um, and I get it. Like, I mean, the, the stock market has, you know, essentially said, like, you know, given Jeff... Bezos probably since the last, you know, more um, rope, if you will, or more latitude is better uh, to go out and invest long than anyone. And he, I mean, I think clearly the AWS is paying off. I don't, you know, I think they're obviously they're the dominant online retailer. So, I mean, there's a reason, right? I mean, they're definitely looking at those successes, but I mean, we shouldn't forget, like, they're kind of really the only company that has ever had this permission for such a long period of time. Like, I you know, I, I don't know. I, I can't really think of any company that's gone this long um, and gotten to this scale that has not really, you know, investors haven't demanded some type of return. I mean, even like hugely successful companies like Apple and Google, right? I mean, they return, you know, billions and billions of dollars in profits, you know, every quarter. So, um, you know, I think, you know, as Matt this it says, you know, it's like, you know, everyone else must think it's unfair. And I guess maybe we do, but it's it's the realities too. So, um, so that's like a really interesting thing. It's like if we all just believe it, you know, this maybe comes back to our Sapiens uh, book review. If, if, we, uh, if we all just believe it, it's true, right? If we all believe a dollar's worth a dollar, it's worth a dollar. So I don't know. As long as everyone just believes Amazon's going to be, you know, um, infinitely successful, then like, yeah, it will work out. But, you know, there must, there is a day where that will switch. And that's going to be the day that, and I have no idea when, I wish I knew, right? I, I, I let everyone know. But um, that's going to be the real question is like, what does the company do with that, you know, that next moment? But right now they're just sitting on all cylinders. Yeah, that, that would be, that would be a, uh, that gets back to my undefinable uh, faceless quandary at the middle of this kind of thing is, is uh, what, wh- what is in that spreadsheet that all the, the financial people have? What is exactly in that macro that's like the Amazon discount or bonus <laughs> right like like what is it what is it that they do consistently as a company or that people believe that they're doing and will continue to do that allows them to like be in that state right and in comparison right like uh i mean you could even look at at like uh apple in the past or uh ibm or you know all these other companies like pretty much most every other tech company older than 10 years that's not a dot-com company or apple uh, and, and like someone accidentally deleted that macro, <laughs> right? Like, like you know, it, it doesn't exist there. Well, but, I think but, there's a caveat but, there. Like no company, uh, that I know of, like, and this is maybe just make it simplifying it too much has, has really said like our goal, our mission is to like, you know, be own, like say 70% of consumer spending, mm. you know? And if you start to like add that up, right, it's like, groceries, clothing, retail, right? You know what I'm saying? If you just, or just maybe we just said retail. Our goal is to own 70% of all retail, something like that. So no one's really kind of started out of that because when you start to add that numbers up, 
the numbers are just so large, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, fine. Amazon's like making, you know, you know, whatever is in the billions, but these are numbers in the trillions, you know what I mean? And that's why people look ahead. Like if you're making the bullish case, you're like, wow, this company, you know, is going to potentially own 60, 70% of retail going forward of everything. Right. And so if that's the case, then it's like, yeah, I mean, it's undervalued, right. At this point. Um, Well, probably the same people making that sort of, 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 calculation are the ones who keep you know until very very recently kept pumping billions into uber you know they've got that spreadsheet where they're like okay you guys are going to lose money for 10 years we're cool with that here's another billion yeah. Yeah. Cause I think, again, you're right. Your point, same thing. It's like how much money is spent on transportation. Like, I guess, you know, I guess it's your point, Cote, it's the, uh, it's the top line. If the top line pie is so massive and you can create a narrative, a narrative and story behind how you're going to suddenly in a, you know, an area that no one owns, like, you know, a significant percentage, you're going to own whatever 50 or hundred, you know, 50 or 80% of it. And, you know, that narrative is bought off on wall street. They're going to give you this huge valuation. It's just like most yeah. of the time in the past, I just don't think those have even gotten like, no one really believed it. Like maybe in, in this vein, like there was a point web van, right. was the, you know, the first attempt or I don't know, not the first, but like certainly the biggest dot com attempt at online groceries. Right. I mean, they did get an outsized valuation because like people are like, oh, this is going to revolutionize groceries. And we all know it didn't happen and they ran out of money. But um, it's all about that story. Right. Because at the end, like we should always just, you know, we should not dilute ourselves to think that those people have even the macros. Right. It's just like they just all believe in the story today because it's like, yeah, yeah it sounds like a really good story. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I'm sure there's more than three, but it makes me think there's like there's like at least or it makes me think of three different sort of like uh I don't know. I don't know what to call them. Strategy modes uh, that that investors would respond to. And the first one is like the classic Warren Buffett value investing, which which works some of the times and other times. And step one in that is already be successful and have lots of money, as as we know. Right. And then when, <laughs> once you goal. once you already have lots of money, then you just go get basically the permanent brands of the century, like Coca Cola and other people. And insurance, which is just, a, you know, and just buy those and you just uh, you have the Mungarian compounding interest so you can make money that way. Now, the flaw in that model is you already need a shit ton of money. So that kind of eliminates most of the market uh, as far as people who can do it. Now, the second one is sort of like the one that we always joke about, which is just sort of like the uh, the bullshit hustle. Which, which, uh, which is just like, I'm going to build up this big company with some asset that can't be valued. Uh, and then someone else is going to buy it. Or I'm just going to reap a bunch of cash that was floating through the air within it, right? And that's like, that's like I don't know, it's not necessarily true or false or whatever, but that's the notion of what a startup does. I'm sure if I watched that like Silicon Valley show, there would be multiple examples I could cite from from that canon. And then the third one I think is like is like the one that uh and I don't know, maybe somewhere in there there's like two and a half, which is like genuine innovation. Which is like you come up with something new and you protect it with IP law somewhere and then you sell it, right? Like something that hasn't existed before. And I don't know, one of the first things you learn when you study strategy is like forget that. That never happens. <laughs> right? Like that's the boring way. Yeah, yeah. Like like maybe pharmaceuticals. Like if you want to do some like actual hard science shit, which go back to the problem with with strategy number one, then maybe do that. Uh but and then the third one is kind of what you're talking about, Brandon, which is like 
there's already tons of big markets. Just figure out how to optimize the way you run that business. This is kind of like classic Michael Porter strategy is like find your five forces of the apocalypse of strategy or whatever and just figure out how you optimize on those and make a few more basis points in profit and then compound that. And, uh, and then you win. Right, like seventy percent of a huge top line market, or even thirty percent, is massive, and uh, I think that third one, and maybe this is why uh, one of the reasons why it's that that Amazon secret macro is like it's pretty easy to explain conceptually, and in theory, it's kind of easy to to prove out the soft side of it, which is to say, using your web van example, right? Like, if you are good at like a ten year journey of investing in stuff. There's going to be a pretty good curve of adoption and people giving you money. Never mind if you're losing money, but it's going to be evident that the business model works out versus like Webvan. I forget what the figures were, but like that was when the Borders person started, right? Where like you build out all these these uh, these distribution centers and then no one buys anything. You're like, well, right. that didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Whereas maybe if you, I don't know what the rate is, but maybe there's an actual rate of 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 revenue that, that of sales that you get, whether or not you're profitable, it instills confidence that you you have that model figured out. Right. And I think you're. I mean, I think you you pretty much nailed it. Just to unpack it a little bit, it's just like when the target addressable market is like very well known and easily estimated, and it's huge, right? Then like valuation is pretty simple exercise. People get it, right? And I think that's what Amazon is sort of riding on where take a company like let's take Twitter and Facebook at the inception of those companies. Like it's kind of like, you know, something's happening because people are using it, but like, there's just no concept of like, what is the market for this? Because you don't really understand that there is going to be an ad market or how many people are going to like, you, you know, want to use it and how you'll actually make money on it. But then, so then it's like really hard to, that's why everyone's like, well, it's worthless. Facebook is worthless or Twitter's worthless because it's just not clear. Like what it, what the overall market is. There's nothing to go on. And then you you roll the clock forward a couple of years and you're like, oh, well, 2 billion people are using their mobile devices on Facebook. And yes, there's actually this whole unit of ads that yeah. Facebook can. And now we look at it and be like, oh yeah, this is totally an industry. Like you can totally look in, up what, you know, online ad spend is for digital advertising on mobile devices. And it's really, you know, but we didn't know that. Like when yeah, Facebook I, and yeah. made it the mobile thing, it's just, there was no, there was no Gardner IDC report to go to, to figure I, I, out what I, that number looked I, like. I, I think like, I think like Facebook, uh, Google and Twitter are a good example of going from like, uh, like this, the, the, the second one, the bullshit thing of like, we'll figure it out later to the third thing, which to, to, to as you're alluding to, uh, it's uh, maybe it was planned ahead of time, but it like turns out advertising is a thing. <laughs> and like, right. I, I remember I, I, I vaguely, I don't know if this was your sapien lore or it was true, but like with Google, it was just sort of like they kind of stumbled into advertising and indeed acquired their way into it. And then that turned out to be obvious that like, if you have someone staring at something, looking for something, you should advertise to them. And I think Facebook was a little less obvious, right? Like, what do you do with all of this? And again, advertising, yep. that makes sense. And I think, mm. and, and then I don't, I don't know if this is true or not, but it kind of fancifully illustrates the thing I was trying to say about Amazon's macro is Twitter has consistently, so there's an obvious business model, advertising, right? And Twitter has consistently demonstrated probably quarterly that they don't know what to do. <laughs> right. So they don't have the operational capability to turn all of those eyeballs or, or to get more of them into an advertising business like Facebook and Google does. And so that means that all your financial analysts delete that macro in the spreadsheet. Whereas yeah. I think 
I, I don't know. I mean, I have to think about this. It, but over the years, Amazon probably has demonstrated that they can do that. And kind of like Apple, if if they faltered like Apple did for a long time, they win back the trust that they can actually. I mean, it sounds ridiculous to say it this simple, but like they know how to run a business. <laughs> like they know how to how to innovate and predict and then actually operationalize all the, the business models. That yeah, no, but you're, I think you're hitting on like three good things there, right? It's like one, I think the metric you can watch Amazon is just gross revenue, right? That continues to grow. People are happy with it. So that's that that gives investors, you know, the courage or the the will to continue to invest more. And Facebook, same thing, monthly active users. And then the time spent has consistently gone up, right, for like a long period of time. And now they're at, you know, just over $2 billion. I saw the press release the other day. And the problem with Twitter, right, was just like monthly active users, you know, kind of tapped out at like somewhere around 200 to $500 million, depending on how many bots you think there are. And, and that's why it's like, well, there's just, you know, and then and they've demonstrated it to your point, you know, over a period of years now that they cannot get that number to go up. So if you don't get that number to go up, there's just not enough advertising to be had. And that's why Twitter, right, is I predicted like every year on this podcast that it will just eventually be rolled up into Google or maybe Verizon, right? Just as another thing they can throw <laughs> advertising into it. Um, so, it's so, but, Twitter you know, but again, like it's, it's only obvious to us now in retro, in uh, retrospect, right? Cause it's not, think about, when Twitter and Facebook came out, you know, it's like to me, and I, even to this day, I kind of probably enjoyed Twitter more. But like, it just wasn't clear like which one was going to get two billion users. But now it's pretty clear, right? So um, that's why I think that all this investing, right, is just, you know, it's just so hard. I think anyone that thinks they really have it figured out is just like fooling yeah. themselves. Well, before before we wrap up, a little pre recommendation recommendation on that note. I mean, I think I think something that informed a lot of my scatterbrain thinking about this is uh, I think I've mentioned this before, but there's this book called uh, The Attention Merchants, which is basically like a history of the business of advertising. And intertwined with that is uh, delightfully so posters in like the late 1800s and early 1900s. And then, as you can imagine, radio and then television and the Internet. And with most of with uh, I think this is true with each of those technologies, so to speak, it followed a similar model where people really didn't know how to monetize them. And then very quickly, the uh, it's narrowed to this, but very quickly the advertising people came in. They're like, I know exactly how to monetize this, but it's an interesting <laughs> uh, repeat history. And, and you, you read about the failures and the, the successes. Like he doesn't spend much time on it, but it's interesting to read. Uh, uh, I mean, speaking of Amazon, like uh, doing multi stuff, like to read RCA's history, right. Who got into the radio business because they wanted to sell radios. And uh, I guess that actually worked out for a long time for them. Uh, but but uh, you can see all sorts of interesting business models built around innovation that doesn't get born with the, the the twin sibling of monetization wrapped up around it. So to that end, as mentioned earlier, as they say, this episode is sponsored by uh, by our friends at Casper, who are looking for uh, senior soft site reliability engineers (SREs). And you know we've talked about the Google SRE book many times, and uh, I think it's a great book to read if if you're anyone who uh, listens to this podcast. And the idea of going to work for the uh, the internet mattress company where you can take a nap at work, they say, uh, in your nap pods, uh, doing that kind of work sounds sounds fascinating, right? Like if you don't remember what an SRE is, it's basically like a uh, a sys- uh, is, well, let me put it this way. It's a programmer who knows how to do system administration. Something that Matt Ray could have done in his life if he decided not to go uh, yeah. sell sell software in uh, Asia Pack and talk with VMware and all that kind of stuff. Whatever it is <laughs> Matt Ray does. 
Uh, not, uh, all those things. All that's those that's things. right. So if you're interested in, in applying for those jobs, uh, you can go to casper.com slash jobs, or you can just email your resume for the uh, senior SRE jobs at jobs at casper.com. And uh, I'll also put a link to the actual job listing that they have. And, uh, you know, again, thanks to uh, thanks to Clive and also Casper for for reaching out about that. And, uh, you know, it'll be it'll be fun to see if it actually works. You should uh, you should mention that you heard about it here and uh, hopefully we'll hear back about that. So as usual, Coach, I think we have to say in Casper uh, a better way to sleep. Yeah, you know, that'll be our I, I want to get that, you know, that, sure, because every every podcast has to have a statement like that. Well, I'll a better ta- place to sleep and get jobs and yeah. get a job. Yeah. And and like I said, their their mattress documentation is excellent. It's not, Fantastic. you know, what? it's just as good. What was the company we talked about last time? Isotoner. Isotoner's documentation. Istio is really good. Their documentation is equally Istio. good for for mat for uh, for mattresses. So there's a whole bunch of links that we went over because we wanted to talk about H uh, E B Buddy and friends. Yeah. But, uh, so you know there were some rumors. I went to go see if this was confirmed or not. There were some rumors that our our friends at BMC were going to uh, merge with C A. Now some some uh, some some wise person on Twitter was saying it was actually their P E firm who was buying it. You know whatever. But uh, have, having those two people get together, that's uh, that 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 would be interesting if it happens. And uh, and then and then you got you know we talked about Amazon eyeing Slack and uh, and Walmart, Walmart actually did a few acquisitions there. We got all sorts of stuff uh, that uh, you can go. Lots it, of show notes. If you go to uh, software defined talk slash ninety seven, you can see links to that uh, Casper SRE job, and also all of the uh, the numerous links that pretty much Matt Ray has pulled together. the uh, The state of DevOps report came out recently. I still haven't read it because I was on the Alabama uh-huh. beaches, but I'll have to look. My guess is. That uh, Westrum Westerios culture uh, crossed with giving a shit has good results. So, so you should also have continuous integration, check in your bash scripts, uh, and and other things. I I, I, I joke. I'm sure there's really good use, stuff in there. Use report. Git. Yeah, use use Git. Subversion. <laughs> Don't want it. So, uh, you know, again, go to the show notes, software defined talk slash 97 to find all those links. And uh, what, what do we got? Let's, uh, I got to buy time to think of mine. Brandon. What's your recommendation for this week? Um, I feel like I should recommend Microsoft Source Safe as your uh, source control system from uh, the late 1990s. <laughs> yes, yeah, it was. Yes. Uh, that was my. Uh, that's where you used to lock files, which is now with the kids not allowed. So, uh, I kid. Um, yeah, I'm going to recommend a, a podcast from a friend of mine. So this is a. Uh, I, I call it like a passion podcast called the the Scholar and the Dropout. It's um, a couple guys who are into fitness, um, specifically CrossFit, kind of talking about um, fitness, how to get into fitness, talk a little bit about diet and health. And um, one of the guys is actually a, uh, get pursuing his uh, a doctorate in psychology. So he is actually very well educated on the subject of psychology and talks a lot about that as it relates to like health and fitness, which I think is just a fascinating subject. Um, because like really my, you know, the whole mind body. So, uh, check it out. You can listen to Marshall and Pete, um, you know, give you lots of tips on how to work out. And they like people that I know that listen, happen to listen to my, our podcast and, um, they're not really into tech. They're like, have no idea what we're talking about. Sometimes there are times in the podcast where they get heavily into CrossFit and you have no idea what they're talking about, but just keep listening because like it gets some, to some good parts. So check out, um, the scholar and the dropout. 
You know, it's 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 five minutes over five p.m. Central Time, and I gotta I gotta get to my family time. But I've got a lot of questions about CrossFit, mostly <laughs> mostly having to do with me rereading a excellent 2012 overview of what Carl Lagerfeller. Lagerfeld, the uh, the head of design at Chanel, if I remember, does, and he has this great line where he's like, "I, I he's, he's probably got a German French accent at this point." He's like, "I do not exercise because my doctor says that it is not necessary." So there that's, you go. Uh, that's that's a you know CrossFit. What I I know CrossFit from our buddy Mando used to do it, and it's it's basically like the throw up regiment, right? It's like that scene in Batman versus Superman where Ben Alflex beating a tire with a sledgehammer, right? Is that is that what they do? Yeah, so you know, I've I, I've been doing like just going to like kind of group training and just kind of cross training, not officially CrossFit. So like I, you know, it's sort of like I've seen CrossFit kind of go through this different thing. Like, is it a fad? Is it a thing? But these guys sort of kind of like break it down more around, like kind of get into more of the philosophy around it. Like it kind of started. Like I, I would almost kind of equate CrossFit in a little way to like open source, right? It's like, hey, mm. it's a bunch of people that got together and said, like, what's the goal here? The goal is to be a fit human being, not like lift a lot of weight, not, you know, run a, a marathon, like be a really fit human being, right? Be like some, so that, you, you, so that, you know, like, Hey, so, like a burning building, you can run out and help people, right? Like things that would maybe happen in your life that you actually care about. But more importantly, like you're going to be fit for later in life, right? Cause you know, like, no, not weigh as much, have good core yeah. strength. Yeah. Right. So, but it all kind of comes from like a very, like, like a, uh, kind of like open source like we're trying to do good here this is the way to do it but it also opens itself up to like lots of different factions right so yeah, yeah. i don't know i've kind of come around around more around like it depends on what you're looking at if you're looking at someone who's like running a gym and is just throwing up a bunch of crossfit marketing and it's not you know what i mean that's it's like someone who's like a proprietary software vendor and then like we're open source right it's not really genuine not really getting at what they're trying to do now if you look at a bunch of people that are like i'm trying to get really fit in a really healthy way and do things that like mimic my lifestyle, you know, it, it gives you a totally different perception. Yeah, so no, that's kind of yeah. what they touch on a podcast. And, 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 to, and to, I think it's. Yeah. And to be clear, say, and to be clear, two things. One, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm more interested if it's if if something I should be interested in. And I remember that our our buddy Carl Lagafella, he after that sentence said, "I used to work out a lot as a kid," and that sticks with you. So maybe he laid the baseline. But I should say this still, like if you're somebody that does not have to work out and you manage to keep yourself at a healthy weight range, like God bless you. And I wish I was you. I just, I mean, I, you know, there's like no answer to that. It's like, yeah, great. If that's working for you, like that never works for me. So I, I, I think it's a lot like agile software where, you know, there's a whole lot of dogma and there are people who will argue about the proper length of a scrum and, you know, standing up and sitting down. But the rest of us are kind of like, you know what? There's a lot of good stuff there. If I do most of that, I'm going to be on a better path. Mm. Well said. Yeah. How All about right. how about yourself, Matt Ray? What do you recommend? This so uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I was at the 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 Manly Library, and uh, they had a big exhibit about rock and roll books, and I saw the autobiography for Johnny Ramone. And uh, the Ramones were <laughs> kind of my favorite band as a kid, uh, as a kid, as 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 a as a youth. And um, <laughs> it's hilarious, but it's terrible at the same time. I mean, he's not super educated. Um, and he's, you know, he's like, you know, we used to travel a lot. And you got to say it in his accent or whatever. You know, we used to travel a lot and I hated traveling. It's like these guys did almost 3,000 shows. Like they were, you know, he's like, I hated France. I'd stay in my hotel room. I hated their food. I hated the way they talked. It's like you toured for 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> 
And he's got, you know, all sorts of great stories about how, like, everyone else hated him. And, um, you know, it's just, if, you, if you're into, like, punk rock, it's a great slice of history. But, uh, you know, he's not, uh, he's not the most likable guy. But it, it's a good book. Uh, entertaining read. Real quick. Yeah, talk, t- talk about halo effect things. I always figure pretty much every rock star is a halo effect. And, and in, in, in this negative way where you're like, how can – this, this is not always the case. I don't want to insult all of our, our rock star listeners. But you know, I figure you come across rock stars a lot and you're like, how did such an asshole get to be so famous? It's like, well, there was a you lot – there's a lot of assholes out there. And so the there, law there of big are, numbers is that some of them will just rise. But but he I mean the 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 nice thing about him is he just had this very blue collar ethic. He was like you know I was a fuck up as a kid. I worked in construction. I liked a bunch of bands. I started playing, and then he was like the hard ass who like made sure they never missed a show. Mm, he you know gotta have that. He was allowed to drink before you know like I mean he was just like the you know the he ran the band with an iron fist yeah see he had um, a, he had a, he had his own version of that macro in the in the amazon excel spreadsheet he had like <laughs> he a, actually doing stuff yeah. yeah yeah i mean he he has all these critiques of other bands he's like i knew those guys wouldn't succeed because they all did smack <laughs> it's just hilarious <laughs> uh well my my record i i have i have three recommendations this week because i can't help myself so i was on vacation we went to the the gulf shores of alabama which is uh on on the uh the uh what do you call this the gulf the gulf of mexico and uh uh and it was uh it was really nice it, it was it was actually kind of perfect there was a hurricane uh the effects of a hurricane that came through but aside from those few days where it was raining which you can't really like fault it for that uh, it was nice. It, there, there was there was good food, although we cooked mostly inside the house, which is a great way to save money if you keep track of the price of a gallon of milk. So then, also while I was there, I read I finally read that book uh, "Hillbilly Elegy" because I was in Alabama, wondering what was going on there. There's there's a lot of us fellow white people there in uh, in Alabama if if you drive if you're vacationing there, uh, and you know. I, that book's all right. That that book it's it's entertaining in its own right as a memoir, but uh, and and it kind of goes over a good description of just like you know uh, to use another phrase for hillbillies, you know, poor white trash, poor white people. But you know, the one thing it never really gets around to is like a very uh, explicit conversation, either discrediting or explaining why it seems like hillbillies are so bigoted and what their problem is. Like it's kind of like scurrying around in the background, but it leaves you very unsatisfied because you have this very sympathetic case of like, oh, of course, if you were raised like that, you would turn up into like not cool. But it doesn't really like cover like, uh, you know, bigotry, which is, I you know, specifically like not only racism, but like homophobia and things like that. So I don't know. But it also like using the John Syracuse thing, it seeks to do what it wanted to, which is it's a memoir. So there you go. And then finally, uh, Coach, hey, this, yeah. this brings me, I think, you know, we got to have a, I don't know how we're going to do it. We have to have a whole nother podcast, but we need to have like a whole episode, I think, on like the whole Ayn Rand philosophy, because I think mm-hmm. the author is a big uh, objectivist. He does. Um, he I'm does make that, reference right? to objectivism and, um, at one point. And um, of course, like we didn't talk about on this episode, you know, Uber and, you know, Travis, uh, uh, last name I can never say correctly. You know, he was ousted, but I think he's also a, a very devout believer in um, or a follower of Ayn Rand as well. So I think it kind of like, it's just sort of I don't know. It makes its way around a lot in tech culture. So I, think, I don't know. At some point we need to uh, dust off your philosophy degree yeah. and maybe uh, dive into that. 
Yeah. You no. Know, on, on on that point, I mean, not not to start that episode, but he does he does have a a, a pretty good uh, a pretty good case of of balancing out like you should get a job with and also the government should make sure there's the safety net such that people have the mindset where they would go get a job <laughs> right so like it's uh you, you got you gotta you, before you tell someone to go plant crops you got to make sure they're not just standing on top of a, a a rocky like hill that's been salted you know take care of that first so anyways uh and then i just read quickly through this uh it's not harlan ellis and warren ellis a uh, little short story called the dead pig collector which it has a gruesome premise to it but it was it was a pretty good short story so, as always, this has been Software Defined Talk, uh, brought to you by Casper this week. You should go apply for their senior SRE jobs. Uh, you can check out the show notes for how to get to that. But if you just go to casper.com slash jobs, you can find it. If you want to find those show notes, uh, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 97. And it's always handy if you actually just subscribe to the podcast. It gets downloaded automatically to you. And if you're in iTunes or something, it's nice to read a review. But really, I think it's just best to share it with your friends and all of your social holes and things like that to help us uh, spread the word about it. We have a weird uh, oscillating amount of downloads around. It's always nice when we get a lot of them. And uh, it also just means a lot to hear from people. Uh, And so with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye.